This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? Welcome back to the Sustainable-ish podcast with me, Jen Gale. Today we are talking food, which is always a good thing in my book, and specifically vegetables, but maybe not in the way that you might expect. So we're all increasingly familiar, I think, with the narrative that we need to eat more veggies and less meat and dairy, both for our own health but also for the health of the planet. But today we're talking specifically about eating vegetables that are in season, why that's important and how we can actually do it. Because I don't know about you, but I find it really hard sometimes to figure out what's in season when, because it's all available all year round in the supermarkets. I know the obvious stuff like strawberries and asparagus, but after that, I have to confess to getting a little bit lost, which is why it was great to chat to Dan Parker, who is the chief exec of not-for-profit Veg Power. Some of you might have seen their brilliant Eat Them to Defeat Them ad campaign for vegetables in the cinemas a little while back. And Veg Power are on a mission to increase the UK's vegetable consumption, And whilst eating more veg at any time of the year is great, knowing what's in season when can have significant benefits when it comes to cutting carbon emissions too. So have a listen, let me know what you think. Do you find it easy to eat seasonally or are you like me and a little bit confused some of the time? (laughs) That confusion isn't just around seasonal veg. Did you know about the increased carbon emissions associated with out-of-season fruit and veg? are you now going to try and shop a little differently? Please do let me know. I would love to hear. Drop me an email on jen at sustainableish.co.uk or tag me at sustainableish on social media. And my usual plea to share the podcast, to leave a rating and or a review if you've enjoyed this episode. For a little one-person non-celebrity podcast, Sustainableish is actually doing okay in the podcast chart. So let's see if we can get it even higher. Have a great week and I will catch you next time. Take care. Hello, Dan. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me along. This is going to be a really interesting one to dive into, I think, and something that we haven't really talked much about on the podcast before, but we're going to talk vegetables, aren't we? We are. That's my, my, my <laughs> night and day. I live and dream vegetables. Um, so can you give us a little intro to who you are and what you do? Certainly. So um, I'm the chief executive of Veg Power, and Veg Power is a not-for-profit organisation whose purpose in life is to get the world eating more vegetables, particularly kids, 
where we have some serious concerns about children's dietary health and high levels mm-hmm. of childhood obesity and poor nutrition. But generally as a society, yeah, something like about 79, 80% of us are not eating enough veg. And vegetables are not only, of course, you know, packed full of an awful lot of the nutrients that our bodies need to prosper and for our, for our, our youngsters to grow, to be healthy for the mm. rest of their lives. But also, you know, vegetables are really the most sustainable major food group of the lot. I mean, it's, they're great things to eat. They have a, a fantastic low carbon footprint and water footprint and things of that nature. And so it's just a good choice for you and it's a good choice for the world in which we live. And our job is to try and encourage everybody to eat a little bit more veg. Brilliant. And lots of people listening, because um, I know we've got quite a few parents listening, probably be familiar with the Eat Them to Defeat Them campaign that was um, that you guys were behind, weren't you? I remember seeing those adverts in the cinema and that sort of thing with the kids. Um, so that was your I don't know if it was your personal brainchild, but that was veg power behind that. Is that right? Well, we have a, we, we have a fantastic team. And on that, we have a great partnership with ITV and with ad agency called Adam and Eve, the guys who are best known for the John Lewis ads. Okay. We're about to go into the fourth year of eating to defeat them. And to give you a sense of the, the scale and impact of it. So we're going to have about three to four million pounds worth of advertising around the campaign, which launches on the uh, on TV on the 12th of February. And then we have a program that goes into schools that give kids projects and, re- and reward charts and sticker packs or plastic free, I hasten to add. <laughs> and there's going to be over a million kids, primary school age kids participating in, in that program this mm. year. Now, some of the stats we know off the back of it is we know that uh, 60% of the parents and kids report the kids eat more vegetables as a result. Oh, wow. But the econometric analysis of the retail sales data shows that um, in the first three years of this campaign, we've ex- we generated an extra £92 million worth of sales of vegetables. But to put that in context of portions, that's equivalent to just a little bit short of a billion extra portions of vegetables eaten by children over the course wow. of the campaign over the last three years. So the thing has become really big and really, really exciting, and it's great. And I think it's making a lasting change, which is the most important thing. And uh, I say year year four starts in schools on the 28th of February. So it's almost like the bake-off effect, isn't it? When they have an ingredient on bake-off or something and then suddenly it sells out in this, you know, you, you actually see that translating to increased sales and things in the supermarket. It's really interesting that you can see that translate through to more, more veg sales. I think that's really exciting. Yeah, and we can see some of that being sustained. Uh, over a longer period i mean with anything you do you you put a big effort in you make a big noise people get excited to go and buy more of our products mm. but you know, we want a lasting change and we're seeing some some positive lasting change and now that we're three years old we can start studying that in more detail yeah. and what's quite exciting for us is the danger is when you do things like this is that the easiest thing to do is go and talk to families and kids who maybe do okay with veg and help them do a little bit better Mm-hmm. And it all comes very, very middle class and, yes. and, and a little bit twee. But if we're honest, we have a, about a third of our kids who have really, really quite an unhealthy diet and they're eating less than one portion of fruit and veg a day. Mm-hmm. And their diet is really, you know, we should be very, very concerned about the health and well-being of these children, high levels of childhood obesity. And sadly, this skews massively towards lower income communities. Mm-hmm. And so... We've designed the whole thing that we're trying to help families who maybe are struggling a bit financially, increasingly so with the increased yeah. cost of everything that's happening, 
definitely struggling with time, struggling with stress and struggling to get their kids to eat more vegetables, even though they know it's important. And it's, it's, it's a tough, tough, tough gig in those environments. Mm. And we want to support those families. And if we can get a child from no portions to one portion or yeah, one definitely. portion to two portions, that is a game-changing situation in terms of improving their health. And that's mm. where we tried to focus it. And it would seem from the data that actually our campaign is landing more effectively in lower income households than yeah, higher yeah. income households, which is, you know, is, is, is wonderful to hear. Brilliant. So we were talking before um, we hit record about, you know, the, the link or uh, the integral part of, of food and sustainability. And um, I think the data or the stats are that food wakes up about 25% of both our individual carbon footprints and of global emissions. But you were saying that there's there's some really interesting research that you've done that said that quite a lot of people still aren't really making that link between food and sustainability. Yeah, it, it, it it's interesting. So we, we've done some analysis with YouGov looking at people's awareness and attitudes around sustainability and seasonality and food and the links between those those different ideas. And we found that, you know, sadly, there's somewhere around t- 10 to 14% of the population who just don't really care about sustainability issues, which I find quite frightening in mm. itself. Then what we see is this significant gap between that sort of 86 or so percent who, who care about and aware of the, 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 the environmental issues, but then we drop right down about, 37% of them don't understand that food is part of that story. They just don't make the connection that food is a major contributor to climate change because we tend to, you know, much of the spotlight tends to be on transport, on energy yeah, and yeah, things yeah. of that nature. And they don't realise that food, it's not just the, the, the energy consumption during food, but the whole process of generating the food we eat, whether it's methane from cows or uh, things of that nature have a huge impact on climate change. It also has a huge impact on soil health and mm. water health and the whole ecosystem, because what we're talking about is what we grow and how we use our land and, and how we use our air and how we use our water. And so, you know, it's 20, 25% or so of, of, of greenhouse gas emissions. It's even more profound when you think about soil damage and yes. water usage and things of that nature. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you mentioned seasonality there, and that's what we really kind of want to dig into um, today. I think I'm probably not alone in, I don't like, we've lost connection totally with the seasons and seasonality of our food, I feel like, in that you can go into the supermarket and it doesn't matter what time of year it is, you can buy whatever fruit and vegetables you want pretty much. And maybe, you know, not even look at where it's come from or those kinds of things. And I think that makes it really difficult for us to know what's in season and when it's in season because everything's there all the time. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something as consumers that we have demanded. Mm. If we like blueberries, we want to eat blueberries all year round. And we don't give a great deal of thought to the fact that they've been packed up in some farm in Chile and stuck on an aeroplane and flown halfway around the world. Uh, before they get anywhere near our plates and that's yeah. and you know that's a hell of a lot of environmental damage particularly when you pick them up and go well I didn't have much flavor yeah. uh, that was a bit disappointing and half of them go in the bin because they went moldy because they were yeah. you know they're, they're days old by the time they get to you right? yeah. there is something which is not quite universally true but it's near enough is that any vegetable that's produced here in the UK 
is going to have a lower carbon footprint than the same vegetable coming from overseas. Mm -hmm. It is not universally true. There are exceptions, but it's a sufficiently nine times out of 10 true to take it as a rule of thumb. Yeah. The question we have is we we tend to sort of get into the into a reasonably narrow groove of the things that we like. I mm. always buy broccoli and I always buy courgettes or whatever it is. And I'm not really thinking about whether they're in season or where they've come from. I just always stick courgettes in my basket because I like courgettes. And we end up ending with quite a small range of vegetables that we mm. eat. Now, if we get into the world of seasonality, you sit there and say, well, if I change the vegetables I eat based on what's in season at any one moment in time, not only does it have the benefit that it's going to reduce the overall carbon footprint of the vegetables that you consume, it'll you know you're going to be producing domestic supporting domestic UK uh, horticulture and mm. rural communities, many of which are desperately in need of support, and you're probably going to have fresher, tastier, better products. What you'll also get is more variety in your diet. The more mm. variety in your diet is really important for gut health as well. So eating with the seasons becomes a very, very healthy way to think uh, for you and, 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 and for your communities and for your planet. Uh, but I can understand why we don't or why people might not, because we're all you know, increasingly busy, increasingly time poor. So first of all, I've got to work out, try and find out how do I even know what's in season? Where do I go to find out this information? Um, you know, and, then, and then as you say, it's, it's meaning that I'm eating different vegetables to the ones that I'm used to and I know that the kids will eat or that I can incorporate into meals really easily. So it does require quite a, um, you know, there are several barriers, I think, there to, you know, because we're used to convenience and, um, you know, like you say, cheap food and all these sorts of things. And actually, I, I was going to say it's quite a big ask, which sounded, but maybe it is a big ask because we're asking people to A, to think before they shop and then to, to change what they're eating and what they're cooking, which can feel like, oh God, really? I've got to come up with another recipe. I've got to come up with a different recipe. Engage my brain at a different <laughs> yeah. time, which we all think we'll have not do it. I think it's an interesting thing. First of all, um, so my background prior to doing working in public health, which I've been doing for six years, is I spent 25 years running advertising agencies working for very, very big brands. The idea that we're time poor is a complete myth that's been created by the advertising industry to sell us detergents and washing machines and other things. The average person in the UK spends five or six hours a day doing leisure screen time in the wow. UK. We are not time poor. We just feel like we're time poor because we've been led to believe that we are. But actually what we're doing is spending an awful time watching, play, watching telly, playing games and being on the internet yeah. and doing social media. And we have exchanged, as a community society, we have exchanged the time we might have spent preparing better food or spending more time with the family and things like that. And we have essentially, as a, as a nation, and the rest of the world too, as we swapped it for staring at screens. Mm. But we have more leisure time than we have ever had in modern history at this point in time. We're just conned into believing we don't, so we buy products. And I guess it's, it's re reviewing what we think of as our leisure time. So we think of our leisure time as kids are in bed, like finally get to you know slump on the sofa and watch uh, catch up on the box set or whatever whereas the the time that we're not at work counts as leisure time it's just what we're choosing to do with that I guess yeah and how we think of it in some ways yeah but then the, the question is say well okay so on seasonality it's quite interesting the IGD which is the sort of trade association for the grocery industry for want of a better description they did some research recently where they looked at lots of different 
interventions they could do at point of retail that would be received well by people and help them have a healthier basket. Mm-hmm. The one that came out on top was better communication of seasonality. Okay. Now, what we found is we, we did a little test. Is we, asked, we asked a whole bunch, we asked a couple of thousand people whether they thought they had good knowledge of seasonality. And uh, 48% said that they did. We then gave them a little test to test their knowledge of seasonality. And I think that they just narrowly beat the random roll of a dice. Oh, really? So now part of the reason for that is that actually our seasons have changed quite a lot because of lots of improved growing techniques, new breeds of of plants and things of that nature. That Generally, the growing seasons have extended and they're Mm -hmm. longer than they need to be. But generally, people don't know. What came out from the IGD research is that those telling people is really effective. And what would come from the research that we did is we had um, 80% of people said that they felt that they would like the supermarkets to make it easier for them mm. to find seasonal veg. So I think there's a big ask of the supermarkets to say, well, actually, if, you know, if there's a genuine commitment here to sustainability, let's do better wayfinding in store. Because you and I both know that if we look at a product, you have to put quite a bit of effort in to notice a little bit along the bottom that it comes from the other side of the planet mm-hmm. rather than down the road. Now, there's all sorts of things you could do to help us make on a decision-making process. So you, so you could have a big stand that says, this is the stuff that's in season. Mm-hmm. Right? And you go, great, oh, that's the decision I want to make. You could, another extreme, start putting an environmental impact rating on food products. That would yeah, be fantastic. Yeah. I don't think anybody's rushing to do that, but it, from a consumer's perspective, mm. you know, I know if I go and buy a fridge, I don't understand how the system works, but there'll be clever people behind it who figured out the science of mm-hmm. which is more impactful than the other. But I'll sit there and make a buying decision and say, do I want to spend a little bit more money getting something with a better environmental impact on it? And I'll make my choice from an informed standpoint when I go and buy an electronic device. Well, wouldn't that be great with food as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. And if my choice is that actually I really don't have any money and I need to feed my family, I just need the cheapest food and I don't really care where it comes from, that's fine. Mm. I mean, it's wrong for lots of other reasons. You know, we shouldn't put people in that situation. But if I want to sit there and consume and say, well, actually, I'm going to buy the stuff that means that my personal carbon footprint is reduced, mm. then I could do it from a position of, of information. Yeah, 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 yeah. So how, how do we or can we influence that? Sometimes when uh, I talk about sustainability and things and when I'm running courses and stuff and, you know, we talk about the impact of um, air freighting food. And I think um, Mike Berners-Lee talks a lot about this in uh, How Bad Are Bananas? And, you know, wouldn't it be so useful to have a little aeroplane sticker that just went on anything that's been air freighted and that allowed us to make that, that like you say, that informed decision? Um, and as you said, a, a whole section like this is this is what's in season this month. And then you can just go. And if you want to and if you're in a position to be able to afford to, you know, depending on how the prices work out and that kind of thing, that then you can make those um, choices. How like do we do we need to write to the supermarkets? Do we tweet them? What how can how can we? I think there's a, there's a complexity in that, isn't it? Because and I think the air freight thing is a very interesting thing because there are many cases at, at different times of the year. There are many cases where the best environmental choice you can make is something that has been shipped from somewhere else. Mm. If it's put on an airplane, it's just an immediate fail. But there are lots of situations where if it's getting trucked or it's getting shipped, Mm, mm. that actually it's better than the other choices that might be available at that time of year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that gets into some complexities. 
what I think we can do is champion seasonality. I think we need champion seasonality at two or three different stages. One is message one, food is a major significant contribution to the impact you as an individual are making to the health and well-being of this planet. And actually, secondly, it's the area where you can make the biggest, your individual choices. You can change circumstance, your circumstances on that mm. easily than you can do with other issues. One of the most positive ways to reduce that impact is to buy seasonality, as well as supporting your growing communities in the, here in the UK and, and the rural communities that need support. And then we need, and if we can keep people on that kind of that journey, then it's a question of providing the information educationally, mm. ideally at point of purchase. We do a lot of seasonal veg campaigns and they tend to be themed around. So in the autumn, we did uh, a big campaign around tray bakes because in the autumn, squashes and root vegetables are in season. Tray bakes are a really simple way to churn out a fantastic meal. And if you're smart, you get leftovers so you can quickly turn into another great meal. They're when you just... said tray bake, I was thinking cake. You mean kind of like one pot, um, you know, roasting veg and that kind of thing? Like one pot ro- roasting tin type stuff. Oh, we want a cake. And they're a very, very smart way to eat in the autumn. So we, do, we did a big campaign in the autumn around tray bakes. We will be doing one in the summer where we are trying to get uh, uh, families to put salads on little sticks so they become finger food. Because if the kids are making the sticks and they might give them little funny names, like it's a traffic light one. Because yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they, they will then eat the sticks and it's just a lot more fun because mm, mm. we've all seen that kind of rather sad salad that sits in the back of the barbecue. In the yes, yeah, yeah. Now those things are pushing seasonality because the time at which we'll do them will will be fitting with when those things are in season and we'll make see so we we manage we we get fantastic support from lots of celebrity chefs uh, most of the ones that you can think of particularly jamie oliver and hugh fernie whittingstall that helped to found veg power and really mm. great support but lots of the kind of cool instagrammers and the tiktokers and and lots of those guys are supporting us and so our social media campaign got out to 23 million people last year and it's all about seasonally smart things to mm, do mm. to get more veg into your diet. So I slowly, I think we can both inspire people and educate people. Ultimately, I, I think everybody should have a seasonal veg calendar in their kitchen. Yes, I was going to say, where? Does, so where can we go? There is a website, but you might say that you guys have got it on, on your website. I think there's a website called Eat Seasonably or something like that. And they do these posters and they also do tea towels. And I was like, yeah, just having one of them, as you say, stuck up on your um kitchen so that when you're putting together your shopping list you can kind of look up and go oh yeah maybe we won't have asparagus or you know so there, there are lots of things like that you know anybody googles are going to find tons of things we have a section of our website that's all about seasonality and what's in season when and different recipe ideas but you know, there are plenty of these things on the internet right uh, and there, and there are lots of calendars and details and, and and again we produce things like that but there are an abundance of them out there should you wish to have them the other thing is also about knowing eating with the seasons is a little bit subtler than just knowing when things are in season. It is, and I'll, I'll give you two or three examples. So if you take broccoli, for example, early season broccoli is a different strain of broccoli and it tends to go off very quickly. So you need to eat it quickly. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to end up with yellow broccoli in the fridge and they'll think, ugh, just the beginning of the broccoli season. The also things quite interesting about broccoli is we all perceive broccoli to be quite a wintry veg. We put mm. it in roasts. But actually, broccoli is in the UK. K is in season from sort of June to about November. Oh, wow. 
So people should be thinking about broccoli because broccoli is great in stir fries. Mm. It's actually really pretty good in salads. Mm. Yeah, but it takes a little bit more work. Now, another really good example, if you take carrots, for example, carrots are pretty much in season in the UK all year round. But it's a very different beast at different times of the year. So if you talk about a summer carrot or an autumn carrot, they're going to be super sweet. You want to eat them as raw as possible, preferably totally raw. Just take them as they are. They're going to really be absolutely delicious. By the time you get to about March, those essentially are carrots that were grown last summer. And they sit under straw and they start to there be a little less a little less flavour, a little mm. less crunchy, yeah. and they're going to need some help to really deliver. And so when you're cooking late season carrots, you want to be roasting them in the oven, maybe add a few herbs, maybe add a little bit of honey, mm. that sort of thing, and really help the carrot because it's not going to deliver on its own to, to give you the best flavour. Mm. And there are dozens and dozens of tricks like this that means that eating with the seasons is knowing also how to sort of tease the best from the vegetable given that the sort of stage of the season it's at, so you don't sit there and go, well, that was a bit bland, which can happen sometimes. Yeah. I don't know if this exists, but I'm like, do you know what I want? I just want an app where it knows what time of year it is and it knows what vegetables are good and it will just bung me up some recipes and then I can, um, you know, create my shopping list off the back of that. I wonder if somebody can produce that for me. <laughs> well, I'm building towards that. Okay. We are hoping the ambition for this year is we're going to launch a, uh, a seasonal TikTok channel. Oh, wow. You are down with the kids. We are trying. I'm not. But thankfully, the younger people who are involved in Veg Power most certainly are. <laughs> yeah. And what that will do is it will essentially, it's just going to notify you of what's in season, but hopefully inspire with a bit of excitement. Amazing. You can sit there and go, hey, Marie, the squashes are in season. I think you have to be, also be very slightly careful because there's, there's an at best and in season because yeah. Some things are in season for a very long time, but there are times that where they're at their best. And what we want to encourage people to do is to be changing their diet because it's good for their health. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also hopefully having greater variety in their diet and maybe just increasing what people need to do is a little less meat and a little less carbs and a lot more fruit and veg. Yeah. You know, the, the, the general consideration is about 40% of the food you eat should be fruit and veg. Oh, my God. Now I feel really bad. Right. Well, yeah. And generally in the world, we're eating too much carbohydrate for our diets and too much meat for the planet. Yeah. And we all need to eat a bit more fruit and a bit more veg and kind of move the shape of our plate round. Mm. And perhaps if people are starting to, because we all do it, don't we? We get stuck in the same two or three veg that we eat all the time. It all gets a bit boring um, because... You know, on a busy Tuesday night, we all want a bit of routine, don't we, rather than having to actually think. Yes, yeah. But we would encourage people to try and get a bit of change. It's also, it's quite a good way to smart about it. It does take some effort. We've all been there, don't they? You sit there and go, oh, just cook the same food every week. Mm-hmm. It's in our, in our house. My, I cook twice a week. My wife cooks twice a week. And then we somehow get through the other three days, ideally cooking something somebody else has eaten. But uh, eating something else that somebody has cooked. But we do find that we get into a rut, don't you, of just cooking yes, the same yeah, things. Yeah. And uh, even, and it's quite hard if you're trying to sort of not have too much red meat. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in our house, we find we go, oh, it's chicken again. But actually, if you then say, oh, actually, yeah, but we're going to do it this time with a tray of roasted squash, right? It suddenly becomes a completely different meal mm. than what your, your standard green beans or whatever you do on a default night, right? So it can bring a lot of varieties to people's 
taste as well as to their health. Yeah, I think this is where it becomes difficult because obviously from a sustainability perspective, we're um, encouraging people to eat less meat and dairy and to eat more veg. Um, But then we get these issues with seasonality where um, I don't know if you watched it. There was a a programme on, was it last year or the year before? called Eat to Save the Planet or something. And they got some celebrities to a restaurant and, and got them to um, you know, pick their meal based on what they thought was going to be the lowest carbon footprint for the meal. And, um, and then they had uh, Mike Berners-Lee was there in the background, like totting up all the carbon footprint. And Sarah Pascoe was on her own. She's a vegan and she picked the, to be fair to her, the only starter she could pick, which was the asparagus. And everyone thought it was going to be really low. But because it was out of season and because it had been air freighted from Peru or wherever, it was actually like the highest carbon footprint of any of the starters. And so I think this is where people start to feel a bit frustrated in that there isn't, you know, we want these nice, easy, black and white, do this answers. And then it's like, oh, well, I'm trying to do the, the what I was told and eat more veggies. And now you're telling me, you know, it's like the whole avocado thing, isn't it? You know, you're telling me that avocados are killing the planet. It's that level of complexity and nuance that I think becomes quite difficult to communicate maybe i'm not sure yeah they did i mean they 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 threw sarah pascoe out yeah. <laughs> you know out of season asparagus is probably the highest carbon footprint vegetable there is yeah and they put it as the only thing on the menu so they yes make yeah and make good telly avocado is also a very interesting thing is that the the big challenge around avocados is its impact on the water systems of where mm. they grow the reason is, is people are growing avocados where you're not supposed to grow avocados because mm-hmm. the global demand for avocados has gone through the roof, right? And they're quite a high-priced product, so there's good margins in them. And what's happening is that people are growing avocados in areas that don't have sufficiently, sufficiently strong water systems in order mm. to support the growth of avocados, and it's destroying the water systems. So actually, as you say, complexities is you should really care about where your avocados come from. Right. Because uh, and I may I don't I don't necessarily have to do much in Mexico. I know is good. Okay. There are places that are bad. Right. The avocados are coming from Mexico, uh, and they're and also the other interesting thing about an avocado will cope with being shipped. So okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So shipping an avocado from Mexico is actually not too bad. Mm-hmm. Right. But there are other parts of the world, and I can't quite remember where they are, and I probably wouldn't diss any country, where really buying avocados <laughs> there is very bad. Right? Yeah. Because the damage to the water system is destroying agriculture for the, for the, for the rural communities. Mm, mm. As you say, it's just so complicated. Mm. Right? Yeah. You know, what we as all as consumers would do, would want, is a nice, simple system that gives us a simple rating system that goes, this is a really great thing for the planet, this is really yes. terrible, and you can choose. And like a traffic light system, and you can make your own decisions based on the kind of consumer you want to be and what your financial situation is. And do you think that that is ever going to happen? It, these things happen because people want them to happen. The system doesn't want them to happen, does it? Because for every green, there'll be a red. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. And nobody wants to be a red Yeah. any of these things, right? But if consumers, you know, we there's an interesting dynamic in this world that makes it so fascinating, weird and frustrating is as consumers, we have total control. Right. We we have the vote. We have the money in our pocket and we have where our pensions are spent. And if we choose to leverage those three instruments of control, 
we can shape society to be any way we want because we can buy anything or not buy anything. We can vote for anybody or not vote for anybody. But unfortunately, as a mass, we don't choose to use the power that we have mm-hmm. to get the things that we want, which is very desperately sad. Mm. But what every single one of us can do is shop differently to tomorrow. And yeah, you know, let's be assured that when we sit there and there are really significant changes being made in terms of sustainability across the entire food system and particularly at the grocers, and that is all being driven by consumer demand. Right? Because anybody in those industries wants to get the next generation of, you know, let, let's be honest, the backbone of our food purchasing is done by mums. Right? Mm-hmm. The vast majority of the food, because 95% of family groceries are bought by the mum in the family. Is that what the stat is, 95%? Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, it's terribly, yeah, come on, guys, pull your socks up and get more involved, <laughs> right? But here, here's the reality. And so what everybody wants is the next generation of mums to be shopping for their products in their stores. Mm. And the next generation of mums, the millennials are now aged 24 to 41. They're the people who are having kids. And they are much, much more aware of these issues. Mm. And so the whole system is responding to a generation who are much, much more environmentally aware than my generation were or the generation before that. And all power to that. And long may it continue. And the harder people push for it, the more industry will respond to it. Mm. and that's what's happening it's just not happening fast enough yeah 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 right a couple of things I want to um ask one of the we like I said in in certainly in my Nakedmums eco club we talk about um seasonality and things like that and one of the um things that I hear a lot and probably my I'm guilty of with my kids as well is but the only fruit my child will eat is strawberries or blueberries or raspberries or do you know like how uh, and obviously you know they're not in season um all year round and that kind of thing I'm quite mean with my children they are only allowed strawberries and raspberries when they're in season and um you know we're able to we're fortunate enough you know we get a river for fruit and veg box so I'm really lazy with that because I just know that you know they, they they do all the hard work for me and if it's if it's in season and if it's not shipped and all that sort of thing it's it's there but you know how how can we encourage our children I guess to I don't know to eat less more seasonal fruit and veg and this comes down to your campaign I guess yeah the interesting I mean I suppose the interesting question is how we make is to eat more veg and fruit for that matter and uh the interesting thing to understand about kids is that um for primary school age kids how much fun am I having now is pretty much the only gear they have right a bit like a dog there's a massive similarity <laughs> children men and dogs they're basically yeah. all the same. <laughs> so you have to think about how you make food uh fun but also you have to um there are lots of techniques that you can do and we have various resources available for parents that are really really struggling with kids and if there are two or three things to take away the single most important thing that people can do is lead by example yeah 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 and be seen to be leading by example. Don't kind of like go, hmm, this is delicious, yum, yum, yum. That's just too much, right? Kids are not stupid, they'll see straight through it, right? But make sure your kids see you eating your vegetables, eat your vegetables and your fruit, and make sure your kids see you eating your vegetables yeah, yeah, and yeah. your fruit, right? Uh, and create an environment that allows, that, that is one that allows success to happen. The next thing is, is to reduce the pressure, the 
eat your vegetables. Mm-hmm. And you, and the worst thing you do is you're not having your pudding unless you eat your vegetables or you're not hey, – some other punishment will happen if you don't eat your vegetables. All those things, what they do is they create a huge amount of friction. Mm-hmm. And what we discovered – we did an awful lot of research talking to kids and talking to parents about vegetables. And what the kids say is that lots and lots of children think the vegetables are disgusting. And actually, it's a bit stronger than that. What they see is a lot of them, they see vegetables almost as a sort of currency in the battle of wills between them and their parents. And unfortunately, this idea is, you know, we see it in way too many children's films, those kind of broccoli type moments that you see. It's just a cheap joke in a film Mm. that actually does huge damage to children's health. And if you go and talk to parents, the overall message that comes back from parents is what they don't want is friction around the dinner table. Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, the, let's get to reality. It's a Tuesday night. You've got to sort out the kids, make sure they do their homework, put on the laundry, tidy mm-hmm. up the house, da, 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 and you've probably already done eight-hour work that day. You're absolutely exhausted and you really can't be asked, right? Mm-hmm. And that is a reality for most people. And so what they don't want is to serve food that's going to cause a scene. And therefore, people tend to veer towards what they know to be safe, like peas and carrots. Mm-hmm. How do you fix that? The first thing is to take away that stress dynamic to get the child and the parent on the same team rather than turn the competition to stop mm. pushing the kids really hard and say, if you don't, anything if you don't is just bad. Right. Right? Yeah. If you do is better. But if you do should never be, if you do, you can have some unhealthy food that's a terrible thing to do because what you're basically saying is that vegetables are like medicine yeah yeah, yeah. That you have to take and chocolate is like a reward mm. and a pleasure and a joy so using reward charts and we have lots of reward charts available with different themes around them but they mm. all fall down to eat more veg giving kids rewards and there is a shocking truth that i think every parent is aware of and we all do badly is the one thing kids want more than anything else is you. Right? Your time and your engagement and you to have fun with them. And so that is a reward that doesn't really cost you anything. Mm. So yes, it's great to say, eat all your veggies, we get fill up your chart, da, 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 and you will buy you a new truck, which is lovely, right? But actually, the whole family's going to the park on Saturday, mm. or we'll all go to the beach at the weekend. Mm. And, you know, and dad's going to stop working or playing football and mum's going to take time away from, from doing the million things that he's doing and we're all going to spend brilliant time together as a family, that for kids is gold dust. Right? It doesn't need to cost anything. Mm. Uh, and we all fail. I know I do. My son's 12 now and I look back and think, you know, the amount of times I've not been as good as I wish I mm. had been, but that's true of every parent, right? The guilt is massive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There are other things that we recommend tips to help parents. We're not massive great fans of hiding vegetables. Hiding mm. vegetables, what it does is it gets more vegetables in your child today. It doesn't get more vegetables in your child tomorrow. Mm. There's also is that kids don't have to try and they don't have to like. Just take the pressure away. So even if they give it a sniff, that's great. Right? Recognize that, applaud it, celebrate mm. it. Mm. Right? If they give it a little taste, that's great. That's all good, right? If they give it a little taste and spit it out, that's fine. That's all part of the journey. What you shouldn't do is ever respond negatively to those things because it will take time to get it right, particularly if you're currently in a bad place. Mm -hmm. 
it will be a long, slow and hard journey. And I'm afraid there isn't another formula that we have. If we discover it, then we're laughing, right? But there isn't mm, one. Mm. It just takes a lot of patience and a lot of investment to get there. And then there's those, yeah. those really annoying parents that have kids who just love all the healthy food without being asked. <laughs> we don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> we don't invite them around for tea. <laughs> kids showing off like that. <laughs> so the other thing I, I sort of wanted to dig into was, um, I guess... The price of locally grown seasonal veg, this all, you know, you were saying earlier about this, it can very quickly become this very sort of middle class twee thing. It seems logical that food should be cheaper when it's in season, food should be cheaper when it's grown in the UK because it's having to be transported less um, distance. Is that true? Often. But. (laughs) Well, because. There are certain times of the year, which certainly uh, the spring, where there is not an abundance of in-season UK vegetables. So, you know, what's the big in-season vegetable in May? It's asparagus. Mm-hmm. Asparagus is never cheap. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? There is no version of asparagus that is cheap, right? Um, where broccoli is always going to be cheap, even if it's being shipped from Spain. It's always going to be way cheaper than asparagus any time of the year. Because it's a, you know, it grows abundantly, it gives you big heads of broccoli. It's a very, very financially economic, you know, it doesn't require too much fuss to get a crop. So is asparagus just, this is as a complete non-guide, but asparagus is just a pain in the bum to grow, is it? And, to, and I think it has to be, it have to be sort of hand harvested and all that yeah, kind of thing. right. And, uh, and so it becomes, it becomes more expensive, right? And it has a very, very short season. Mm. So we'll make it stack up as being an asparagus farmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got six or seven weeks to make your money. Yes. Um, where, you know, if you're a carrot farmer, I mean, carrots are ridiculously too cheap because carrots are a, a signature product, like a pint of milk and a loaf right, of bread. Right, yeah. And they are artificially cheap, and uh, the carrot farmers are in desperate, desperate bad straits because they just can't grow carrots and make them money. Wow. So, but generally speaking, what you'll see is that um, the supermarkets will tend to promote in-season vegetables with price discounting and offers because they've got an abundant supply. It also depends on the weather, right? So mm. if we don't have a particularly good season, then you won't see a price benefit. But if we yeah. have an abundant season, then the supermarkets will discount it um, because they want to shift large volumes of yeah. And and, and it, they can do and they'll and they want they want to make people's baskets more affordable, particularly for healthy items. Mm. Uh, so it's a mixed, you know, unfortunately, you know, none of this stuff is simple. Uh, it's a mixed and complicated picture. But people, sh- if they look out for seasonality, th- they should find some better prices. But that does require a certain degree of awareness that isn't always easy. Mm. And I think you were saying as well before we hit record this, and, and not to, you know, turn this into a political episode or anything like that, but that actually there are quite consequences of Brexit in terms of labour shortages and things for vegetable growing and picking and that sort of thing is making it more difficult for UK farmers to make ends meet and to you know stay in business. Yeah I mean so we have we have a whole series of shocking pressures on UK horticulture at the moment. The first is that they simply can't find people to pick their crop because it's not just money people don't want to work. Mm-hmm. Well because it's it's you say people don't want the work like it's, I mean, it's it's hard work being a veg picker, it's isn't it? And it's out in all weathers, and you know, often stooping over and very physical, and all that kind of 
um, thing that probably isn't very appealing for lots of us. It's hard work. It is also what you tend to get with uh, particularly some crops is when they're ready to pick, everyone needs to pick from dawn till dusk, 16 hours yeah, a day, because yeah, yeah, the yeah, crop needs yeah. to come in. And people don't want to do that. Yeah. It's also work that requires a fairly absolute commitment for periods of the year and then nothing for the rest of the year. Right, yeah, yeah, and People yeah, don't yeah. want that work pattern. Mm. And also the reality is, is we've taken three, four, five hundred thousand people, many of which were working at, in lower income jobs out of our communities through Brexit. Mm. And so if you are somebody who is earning at that kind of level, you actually have a choice of jobs at the moment. You sit there and go, do I want to go and pick veg, backbreaking work outside? Or I can stack shelves, or I can serve coffee, or I can serve school meals, or mm. there, are, there are, you know, I can work in social care. There are so many jobs for people at that wage level um, because so many of the people who are here you know, from from Central Europe were, were 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 here at that wage level. So there's huge pressure there from labour. There's obviously quite a significant energy cost pressure going on at the moment. Mm-hmm. There is also increased pressure to be more sustainable which is great but it costs money mm-hmm. and so we see you know across the whole of uk horticulture we're seeing more anaerobic digestion plants more solar panel plants uh tractors that are being run on on waste methane from from uh, from beef production wow. and tons and tons of initiatives which are great and they're fantastic it's the way the world should be but they cost money mm-hmm. Then at the same time, there was a colossal pressure on basket price because we're, we're in quite an inflationary economy at the moment. Mm. Prices are going up. It's tipping lots and lots of people into food poverty who were previously just about managing yeah, and yeah. energy poverty mm. massively were just about managing. And we see um, our sister organisations, the Food Foundation, who are very much behind the Marcus Rashford and all those food poverty issues. What we're seeing at the moment is this colossal movement of large numbers of people into food insecurity who before were just about managing. So mm-hmm. the pressure to not increase prices on core items is pretty significant too. And all those things are creating a perfect storm that means that actually many people in UK horticulture just simply cannot grow mm. crop at a price and sell it at a price that means they can actually earn a living from doing it. So does that mean that it's inevitable that... UK produce will cost more and therefore you know as you say people are in food poverty and there's a cost of living crisis going on so if you're in the supermarket you will pick what's the cheapest thing that's there and you can actually give a monkey's where it comes from because you need to put some food on the table or does it mean that in some way we are able to put some kind of pressure on the supermarkets in that they support UK farmers by taking less of a profit margin on the UK goods or how how do we marry those two things up this kind of cost of living crisis with wanting to support you know be able to eat seasonally and be able to support um UK and local produce yeah I mean so I think there's a the mixed pitch that I think the direction of travel at the moment is that I think we will be producing less of our food here than mm. we have done, particularly when it comes to the horticulture because of the financial issues and the labour market issues and that would be a terrible shame in terms mm. of because that means a greater environmental footprint from the food when we should be going in the other direction the answer to what we do about it i think is is very much dependent on our life circumstances we know that there are way too many families in this country who struggle to put food on the table 
and even saying to them, hey, how about some broccoli? It's a difficult conversation. Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. We just need to not have hungry children. Yes. The What we're seeing from some of the study work that we're doing with, with Kantar, who have sort of amalgamate shopping data, is that we're seeing that for a lot of people who are on a lower income rather than the lowest income, they are, they've got to the point of the change in their basket recently that where many of their vegetables have become incremental purchases. So they will put what they consider to be their essential items in their basket. Right. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a way of shopping that is, it, it, that is something that unfortunately affects people in lowest incomes is you you know you put the essentials that you've got to have mm-hmm. you see what's left in your purse and you yeah. get what else you can go and you're even taking stuff off the thing at checkout because you don't have enough money to pay and unfortunately mm-hmm. we're seeing a lot of people tipping into that and what happens is that they're eating less vegetables as mm-hmm. a result because the vegetables are seen as incremental mm-hmm. potential waste. to talk to any of those groups in the current economy about saying well pay a bit more in order to save the planet is a really tough conversation yeah 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 and i kind of feel like it's not a conversation to be having with those groups, it's not on them. It's on the higher income. Right. So then if we talk to people who are in the middle income brackets, the reality is modest impact, right? If your family shop goes up by £10 a week, it's probably not going to materially affect people who've got a household income of £60,000 a year mm. or more, right? For people who've got a household income above that, it's not even going to, you know, they're not going to start changing what they buy because the cost has gone up by five, 10 quid. And we need to increase the consciousness in that consumer group that actually, yeah, let's have a hard truth is that actually being environmentally responsible does cost a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are circumstances where it's not the case. I think what's very interesting thing we can learn from is eggs, actually. If you go back 20 odd years, the vast majority of eggs are battery farmed eggs. And what happened was there was a massive weight, mass scale middle class movement towards free range eggs. And we all bought a very simple argument that said, if you pay a little bit more money, you get better eggs and happier chickens. Mm -hmm. And we all went, fair enough, I sign up for that. And we've seen the whole market turn totally upside down so that actually the market is dominated by free range eggs. Mm -hmm. And I personally, I think like many other people, I wouldn't buy eggs if they didn't have free range. I wouldn't mm-hmm. walk out of a shop with non-free range eggs. Now, we need to take a lot else of our food system on a similar journey. And we've all accepted the fact that we're paying a little bit more for our eggs. Well, and over a course of a 15-year period, we've all, you know, the middle class particularly, but more than that, has changed the eggs that it's by. I think there is a potential for a similar journey around the rest of our food you know, whether it's vegetables and also, you know, it's true of meat and dairy is the single most important thing is that is how your food is produced, not what your food is. Mm. You know, is it being produced locally? Has it been produced sustainably? And we all need to vote with our wallets. It's so difficult, isn't it? Because it, it is, I'm so aware that this is such a middle-class conversation to be, you know, and, and to be sat here and to have this privilege to be able to have this conversation and to make choices around the food that we're buying that aren't based on as you say how much money is in the purse in our purses and that kind of thing and I think um trying to create a more sustainable food system that doesn't price that doesn't push more people into food poverty that allows people to be able to make sustainable and healthy choices that they can afford I mean that just feels I I don't yeah I don't I don't know how we do that I hope somebody does (laughs) Well, the interesting thing is to start asking the, the, the right questions. Right? 
you know, so the, the question we should perhaps ask is there are absolutely people in this country whose choices around food and other consumer choices they made are absolutely dictated by their financial position, but that is not true of the majority of people. The majority of people choose to buy food that they know is bad for the health and well-being of themselves and the health and well-being of the planet that we're on. And they know, they don't need, they don't, you know, most people know, particularly when it comes to the health thing. We all know mm. that chocolate biscuits are bad for us and apples are good for us, right? Oh, I still choose a chocolate. <laughs> why would right. I still answer? Right. So the question we have to ask is why do people make that choice? Yeah. And full yeah. knowledge of the fact that it's a bad choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And reality of the fact that if we could, if we want to choose differently, we could afford to do it. Why do people make that choice? And that is the question that we need to discuss. Yeah. Because once you understand that, you can start to find the answers. And this goes far greater than the food. This is to do with, you know, why do people buy people who who, who wrote it went off by a two pound t-shirt that they know the story behind that t-shirt is a bad story mm, mm. that there's a sweatshop somewhere far away where some people are being treated terribly mm. and the thing is being pulled out of the ground in the most terribly environmentally and awful ways but we want our two pound t-shirt and why do we choose to make that decision when those same people could go and buy a 20 pound t-shirt that doesn't have a terrible backstory mm, mm. and um I think that, for me, would be the key issue of the day when it comes to public health, it comes to climate health. Yeah. And it's a very, very difficult question to answer, which probably has some fairly ugly answers as well. Yeah. And it, like you say, it comes back to everything, though, doesn't it? I, you know, I, can, I know that if I get up off the sofa and go for a run, I'm going to feel better. Do I want to get up off the sofa and go for a run? No, I don't. <laughs> like, what? I don't know if there is just something... I don't know if psychologically our brains are tuned for short, short term, you know, gratification over that, you know, it's the, the marshmallow type thing. We're also programmed to be lazy. Right? I mean, our body is absolutely programmed to be lazy because it, it is programmed to conserve energy. Mm, mm. And the way our brain functions is very interesting is that repeating a process that we have done many times in the past takes a very small amount of energy. Yes. Yeah. Whereas doing something new and different requires a huge amount of energy and we tend to avoid it. Well, that's what we were saying, isn't it? About picking a different vegetable and cooking a different meal. That's, you know, a lot more energy and headspace going into that. Right. So if you look at various coffee shops and burger restaurants, I won't name names, <laughs> what they master is the fact that you don't switch your brain on. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, if you go to any of their stores, they all look the same. The menu is exactly the same. Mm. The ordering process is exactly the same. The food you're going to get is going to be exactly the same. You know what you're going to so get. You go yeah. in there habitually and say, can I have this usual order, please? Mm. And it just gets delivered. At no point during the course of the process have you turned on um, the, uh, they, I've got one of the right terms on, we have the two different kinds of brain activity, but the kind right. of yeah, yeah, yeah. engaged brain activity. You're mm. working on autopilot because your brain wants to walk on autopilot because it's saving energy. Mm. So the interesting thing about your run and any of these things, the question is not this. The thing is about opportunity costs. It's not that you don't want to go from the run. It's that you don't want to stop sitting on the sofa. Uh, OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you look at it in the context of food and clothes and other things we buy, the reason why people don't buy the choices that are healthier for them and the planet that cost more isn't because of those. It's because they want to have the time and money to spend on other things. Yeah. So if I say to you, your shop's going to cost you 20% more. And that means you're not going to go out every Saturday night. Yeah. 
it's the not going out every Saturday night that you're going to care about, mm-hmm. right? Because you're, what you're seeing is an opportunity to cost. So how much of my time and how much of my money do I want to dedicate towards saving the planet mm-hmm. as opposed to having a good time socially? And that's the choice that people make. So the, the issue lies not in food or climate. It lies in how we choose to spend our time. And we see these things as not a benefit to ourselves, but a cost in terms of the sacrifices we need to mm. make. And you have to try, what we have to try and take people on a journey to understand that there is pleasure and benefit in better choices. Mm. But unfortunately, it's quite intangible, particularly on climate change. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I didn't expect that to get this conversation around vegetables and seasonality to end up um, there and to being so deep. But this is absolutely fascinating stuff. Let's try and end on a, on a positive and some really kind of practical stuff that people can take away then. What like some easy tips for people to eat more seasonally and locally? What is really positive is there is a significant change of mindset towards eating in a more sustainable fashion. There's no question doubt that's going on. And some of it is a bit misdirected, right? But actually, it's better to have the momentum that's misdirected than not have the momentum at mm. all. So as people think a little bit more about maybe improving the impact of their diet, both on themselves and their, 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 the planet, they should think of it about seasonality. They can come to our website, which is vegpower.org.uk, or they can just get up there on Google and have a search. There are tons of information out there. There are more videos than you could ever possibly watch around the subject. Some of them are amazing. Some of them are terrible. You need to go and find the ones that suit you. But this is about take a bit of time to empower yourself. Because actually, if you do, what you'll start to do is unlock amazing flavor and opportunity and uh, the, the joy of exploring wonderful things that you didn't know existed before. And in there, you'll find things that you love and you think things you'll hate and you'll have a, your life will be richer and better and fuller because you put a little bit of effort into thinking about what goes on your plate. At the same time, you're also going to do a little bit of favor for Mother Earth and a little bit of favor for your local farmers. And that's all great. But actually, there's just so much joy in food mm. if you choose to go and discover it. And that's as true of vegetables as it is of cheese and wine and chocolate yeah. and all yeah 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 um, right, I'm going to really put you on the spot here and say this could all go horribly wrong so it's we're recording this uh early mid-February I have no idea what's in season do you know what's in season okay so it we're kind of getting towards the end of some of the winter veg so you can still pretty good on roots roots is a good place to go so we are you know it's February it's 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 it's, it's not great in a climate like ours but you leeks are good this time of year those mm. are nice but lots of roots. And then we'll be getting into spring greens fairly shortly. And then, of course, the super abundance comes in the summer when tons and tons and tons of things in the season. But right now... When is the hungry gap? It's always a bit later than I think it is. It is. It's around sort of April-ish, that sort of time. Right? So this is the time when we've run out of our stocks of winter veg and the spring and summer veg. It's starting to, right? Yeah. But what I would do this time of year is I'll tell you what a really big and easy wins are this time of year is look towards things like uh, swedes and turnips and beetroots and things like that are just amazingly filling and super cheap. What do you do with a swede and a turnip? Stews. Okay. Just bung them in your stews and they basically become your replacement for your potatoes, the much, much healthier choice. Okay. And you can just yeah, get yourself a big one pot going, cook up a nice big stew or chilli, let it cook for a bit, or stick them in the oven and roast them for sort of 
40 well, minutes. Okay. Uh, things like, you know, if you roast a beetroot, oh my God, the flavour yes. is sensational, right? And the kids, the kids are quite easy to get into beetroot because your tongue goes pink and that's yes. funny. You can have a laugh and then you wheeze pink and it's all, <laughs> it's all brilliant fun if you, if you make it something, right? So there's still, you know, uh, there's some good old still you still Brussels sprouts and not just for Christmas. I'm just saying, everybody. <laughs> Actually, I have to admit, Brussels sprouts are just for Christmas in our house. That's oh, I've got one child who will eat them and one child who absolutely will not touch them. <laughs> so, you know, but I would suggest somebody's thinking about seasonality. I would sit there and say this summer, I mean, if I'm going to get people started, I say this summer, I'm yeah. going to embrace seasonality because what I want them to do is to go look at all the amazing abundance mm. of things that are available, which is a pretty tough gig in March, April. Yes. Yeah. Surprisingly, there are, there are weird anomalies in this. There is an, an abundance of cucumbers in March, April, around that sort of time, because what the cucumber growers do is they, they do an early crop so they can get a second crop. And if you're clever about your cucumbers, what you'll see is an awful lot of the cucumber places now have anaerobic digestion plants. I was going to say, are these all grown in horribly heated polytunnels? So they're running super efficient operations from an energy point of view, which brings down the carbon footprint on the cucumber Mm -hmm. massively. So it's great timing. You're not quite yet, but give it another, well, we now six weeks, cucumber. Okay, cool. Particularly good in a gin and tonic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess the other thing um, that we haven't mentioned, and I'm really super aware of time, so we'll just be really quick, but talking about spring, summer, and, you know, maybe this is the spring or summer that you're going to just have a go at planting a few veggies and that kind of thing, because that really puts you in touch with the season. That really puts you in touch with how blooming hard it is to grow sometimes some decent fruit and veg and why things look a bit wonky sometimes and all that sort of thing. So, and I think there's lots of research that shows that, you know, if kids are sort of involved in growing the veg and all those sorts of things, then hopefully they might be a little bit more willing to try it and, and that kind of thing as well. Yeah. And you don't need to have a garden to grow veg. Mm. If you grow a little tomato plant, go and get like a cherry tomato plant. That's a really positive one to do with kids because you get a fruit. Mm. It turns red and it's a story and it's a journey. And then you can eat them raw and they're mm-hmm. delicious and you can stick a plant on. You know, you can get an old two-litre milk bottle thing, cut the top off, get mm. some little bag of compost, grow it inside, stick it in the, on a mantelpiece. It's a very cheap, very fun and simple things for kids to enjoy. And it will encourage them, not, you know, growing and cooking are the two most positive things you can do to get kids to improve their diet. Brilliant. Oh, fabulous. Thank you. We've dived into so much. It's been absolutely fascinating. That's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me along. been listening to Sustainable-ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness, with me, Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small, every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, Do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time.